And I replied back and I, I was like, so this is how I get to announce him uh, in games from now on, right? And they and uh, Mike Foreman wrote back like, I don't know, I think we're gonna have to hear a sample of it. So I did a Carolina Hurricanes goal! Score by number 37. Mr. Spitznikov! And, and I posted it on Twitter and, you know, again, like I said, the players, players had no interaction with me whatsoever, but both <laughs> uh, Martin Nook and Sveshnikov uh, replied saying that they thought it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, so wait, I appreciate you being here on the podcast, um, episode seven, I believe. Thank you for, I know it's good to talk about sports when not many sports to talk about this time of, time of year. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be thinking about hockey again as the league starts to return to play, and I'm excited to see how things go. Yeah, a lot of exciting things coming about with that. But I want to kind of take it back. I know you have, we can talk about the Canes all day, but I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, how you know how you're brought up. I know you're from Virginia originally, rural Virginia. So kind of talk about that and how um, the absence of hockey at that point compared to what it is now. Yeah, so I grew up in Lunenburg County, Virginia, which no one has heard of. Um, it's about halfway between Richmond and Durham, just over the state line. Uh, It was my mom's hometown, and she left for the city, met my dad. Uh, My dad fell in love with the country, and we moved back to the town of Cambridge when I was about five years old, and I stayed there all the way through kind of my adulthood. Yeah, it's a very small place, four stoplights in the whole county, one high school, no four-lane roads in the place. It was small, and, you know, high school football was the big thing. Uh, baseball was also pretty popular. I was, shockingly enough, a fairly unathletic kid, but I did play a little bit of baseball. Uh, not well, but I played it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I participated on the academic teams, but my real hobby was forensics, which is not the crime scene investigation, but the kind of public speaking art and competition. So that was kind of the thing that I did all through junior high school and high school. Did a little bit of theater, but you know, ended up uh, going to college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Awesome. And then with that, uh, so you, you always kind of had somewhat of a, of, a, of a passion, right, for public speaking. You talked about that. Um, so did you say it kind of started maybe in middle school, high school, as far as really saying, oh, like, I really enjoy any aspects of public speaking? It was definitely in middle school. Um, I was a fairly shy kid and – My mom was a teacher before she retired, knew about the forensics program and thought that it would be a really interesting way to try to get me out of my shell. And it turned out that I had an aptitude for it. I did uh, prose reading. So I would do kind of dramatic readings of stories was the main thing that I did. And it really helped me build my confidence and and I was good at it and enjoyed it. And my mom always tells the story that she would come watch some of my forensics competitions and, you know, she'd see me you know, sitting out in the audience waiting for my turn to go up there and speak. And I'm just kind of, you know, shy and fidgety like I normally am. She's, and then she'd say, you know, you, you'd get up there, you'd walk up to the podium, you'd kind of fix your suit jacket. And then, you know, like as soon as you did that, it was like there was a different person up there and you were confident and bold and strong. And uh, so, so that was really cool. I mean, I think it, it taught me a lot about 
how to get in front of people and succeed. That's awesome. And it's such a cool, it's kind of like that alter ego that you see with a lot of musicians too. You think like Alice Cooper, who's traditionally a very laid back guy, but on stage is someone completely different. Is that kind of how you kind of would see, not trying to compare yourself to Alice Cooper, of course, but someone like that to where once you get up on stage, you kind of, you're a different person. Yeah. He's got better hair than me. So I certainly don't want to compare, <laughs> compare myself. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is kind of a performance. And if you, if you're doing a performance like that, you, you have a character, you have a mindset that is different than you are when you're not performing. So that, that performer's high and performer's mindset uh, that you see in the theater, that you see in movies, that you see in musicians, same thing for people in my position, uh, announcers, public speakers, and things like that. Do you kind of feel like it's kind of a healthy balance to have that with, you know, with life? I know so your kind of day job is uh, something, is it with IT or kind of expand on that? Sure. Yeah. My, uh, my background is in software development and technology. I got a computer science degree from William & Mary, which makes me fairly unusual amongst the NHLPA announcers. Most of them have a background in radio or voice acting or both. Um, my background's in programming. So I got a computer science degree, uh, ended up spending the first 10 years or so of my career doing kind of infrastructure assistant administration, picked up software development on the side with some friends of mine out in Portland, Oregon. We built a little side project that turned into a company called TeamSnap, which uh, several folks have heard of. It's a sports management tool for youth and adult recreational sports teams. And I was the original programmer behind that. Was with them for about eight years, uh, finally ending my tenure there as CTO, Chief Technology Officer. Spent a couple years around the startup scene in the Triangle, helping companies spin technology products out into standalone companies. Uh, spent a couple years turning around a uh, troubled software development group inside of a non-technology company. And since January, I've been working with a company out of Charlotte called Dual Boot Partners. We do software development, kind of a blended onshore, offshore software development model. And so I've got 11 or 12 different projects that I'm running right now. And uh, it's fun. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, the creative stuff that I do is a nice counterpoint to the way I spend most of my day, which is solving problems, you know, writing software on occasion and working in technology. Yeah, that's great. I think you go from your day job as far as spending most time, probably feeling more isolated looking at your screen to speaking to thousands in an arena at nighttime. Such a cool polar opposite to kind of see someone who's able to adapt to, you know, being by themselves isolated, you know, coding to yelling their mind out and making <laughs> making these thousands of people crazy. Uh, so, you know, before, like I said, before we go into more of the canes, um, I really found interesting, uh, your background with improv and doing and being involved with the local theaters in the area and stuff like that from, you know, was formerly comedy sports right now, comedy works. And then you were known as, um, Mr. What, uh, I forgot the nickname. Miss, was it Mr. Mr. Voice. Mr. Voice, exactly. So kind of talk about that as far as before you got into Canes, you obviously had a, lo a love with improv and um, kind of how you talked about in an article. Yeah, you kind of did a um, improv as the PA guy too. So was it kind of a, was it kind of not easier, but was it a little more comforting knowing you can improv behind a curtain more so than on stage or was it still, you know, tough, of course. Yeah, I, I first discovered improv in college, never heard of it before. Um, William & Mary had an improv group and I saw their performance and was blown away. I was like, wow, that's so fun and creative. 
And when I moved to Raleigh in 1999, I didn't know anybody. I'd come here kind of sight unseen. I'd never been to Raleigh before I moved here. Didn't know a soul, so I needed a hobby. And I found Comedy Sports and saw some of their shows and liked it. They were advertising for their workshops. So I took a workshop and they were like, hey, you should take our next workshop. And I took the next workshop and they're like, hey, you should join the group. And so that was a little over 20 years ago that I joined uh, Comedy Sports in Raleigh and they changed, uh, you know, kind of broke away from the national comedy sports brand and became Comedy Works in like 2002, 2003 era. And I've been performing there ever since. And, you know, I've, I've been the referee, I've been the player, but I spent the sig most significant portion of my time behind the mic as Mr. Voice, which comedy works and comedy sports do a sports style improv show. So it's kind of like whose line is it anyway, but there's a red team and a blue team and a referee and points on the scoreboard and there's an announcer. So, you know, in that role, I was, I was, I had, to, had to improvise, but all I had to do, all I had to use was my voice and sound effects and music cues and things like that. And, you know, over the years, I got really good at that and was one, <clears throat> one of the people who did the job a lot. So when it came time to audition for the Canes, I really wasn't that worried. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew from 20 years of improv that, you know, 15 at that point, that if anything weird happened, I'd be able to handle it. And I trusted myself on the mic to be able to make things make sense. And that preparation uh, really paid off. So yeah, I still perform. We're doing virtual shows online these days uh, while we're all quarantined. Got another one coming up this weekend where I'll be the the announcer. And one of the really cool things is my oldest daughter, who's a rising senior in high school, she's also part of Comedy Works now. So uh, right before quarantine hit, uh, she and I got to do, perform in a show together. And that was, uh, that was really cool to be up there with my daughter. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to ask too. Um, I was going to say, you know, I know your daughter's in, involved with it now too. How, um, how has improv kind of helped you just day-to-day -day life almost? I feel like improv, you're all constantly on your feet. Have you seen that help you even with your job, your, your job as a programmer, Kane's announcer? Have you seen improv, you know, parts of you kind of looking back at that? Oh, absolutely. I, when I go out to technology conferences, I often teach an improv for nerds workshop. Because the skills that you learn there, how to, how to listen actively, how to make things make sense, how to build ideas collaboratively, how to, how to ideate and brainstorm, all those things that we use in the performance are skills that you use in your day-to-day -day life, whether it's your corporate life or your hobbies or your family, knowing how to do that stuff, and it is, and it is a teachable skill, is, is exceptionally important. You know, I think I've, I've been fairly successful in my career, and I think a lot of that has been because I've been a technology person who can write, because I did a lot of newspaper writing back in college, and I can speak, and I can, you know, get up in front of a group of investors or a group of coworkers or whoever and talk confidently and make it fun, and if they throw things at me, I can pick them up and build on them all on the fly, and people, people are like, wow, this must be magic. It's like, no, it's not really magic. It's just... I do it a lot and you know, it's a, uh, it's a skill that's really helped me. Yeah. And it's something that I feel like some people just have to have There's a lot of pride. Some people just, just flat out have it. I mean, I'm not, I don't know enough about the improv world, but I have watched who's on it anyway, 10,000 times back and forth. And just the, it's so impressive seeing people from have different skill sets too, and how it's helped them 
make careers out of that into something else too. You look at, you know, Wayne Brady, who's a game show host. He, but that's not what he wanted to do. And he's doing that now because he's so good from improv and making things happen. So, and it's so cool to see that mindset of you can be a game show host or you can be a computer programmer and it all kind of stems from being successful with improv and kind of being on your feet and stuff like that. So I think it's really cool. Um, I, I know you're a man of many hobbies. What are some other hobbies you have uh, besides programming, besides, you know, PA announcer, any kind of other hobbies you'd like to do? Um, talk yeah, about I've got a, with, yeah. Got, got a few. So I, I do some hosting of kind of events around town. So uh, RTP has a monthly talk series called RTP 180. I've been their MC for a couple of years. I sit for about seven or eight years now, it was early 2010s. I had an opportunity through one of my friends uh, from Comedy Works to become the ring announcer for Gouge Professional Wrestling. So I'll get in the ring with uh, Seymour Snod and Otto Schwanz and Jimmy Jack Funk Jr. and uh, be announcing the wrestlers height and weight and who's winning and things like that. And that's always fun. Uh, that's another thing that I've gotten to do with my oldest daughter. She's the DJ for Gouge Wrestling. So she plays the music and I do the talking. Um, and then I picked up uh, playing hockey as an adult here in Raleigh. I'd never played hockey before, but uh, my wife and I, when we were dating and kind of right after we got married, we're looking for, kind of a couple's activity to do. So we took ice skating lessons and took those a couple of times, just, you know, it was a fun, you know, couple's thing. And then had, you know, had our, had our oldest daughter. And for my first Father's Day uh, as, as a dad, my Father's Day present from my five-month-old was an empty hockey gear bag. And my wife said, you love watching the Canes, you know how to skate. I want you to go fill this up with hockey gear and learn how to play. Um, so I went and filled, you know, filled up the gear bag and took some learn to play lessons down in uh, Gary and Garner and started playing. So I've been, you know, playing as a you know, skater for off and on, <clears throat> probably about 15-ish years now. And um seriously for probably about the last six uh, before I was like I played for a little bit and then I wouldn't play for a little bit and I played for a little bit but I think it's you know pre-pandemic of course it was uh, every week thing up until then and then at age 40 I decided that uh, I didn't like my body anymore so I bought goalie pads so my <laughs> midlife crisis I told my wife <clears throat> you know I want to be a goalie and she's like that doesn't sound like a good idea I'm like well my midlife crisis choices are goalie pads or a Corvette and a comb over. And she said, get the goalie pads. <laughs> so at age 40, I, uh, I learned to play goalie and I'm goalie on a team down at Iceplex. And, uh, you know, I'm not good, but I've gotten better. Uh, my goalie coach is uh, one of the goalies for NC State hockey team, uh, Ian Hutchison, and kind of showed me the basics. And, yeah, I've won a couple of T-shirts as a goalie, not really because of my ability, more so the teammates. But that's a really fun hobby to to get out there and play the sport and be bad at it um, and, and enjoy being bad at it. And, you know, the occasional time you make a good play or score a goal, it's it's worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and I, I definitely want to get in more to the hockey thing, but uh, it really piqued my interest when I found out you were in, in ring announcer. And I felt like you being an announcer now, um, were there any announcers? Because I assume growing up, did you watch wrestling at all? 
I did. I was, uh, you know, NWA, WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions fan, uh, you know, the Ric Flair, Barry Windham, Brad Armstrong era. So, you know, that was the wrestling I grew up watching in rural Southern Virginia. Um, So, you know, Gary Michael Capetta, uh, you know, was the ring announcer for ages for for Crockett. And even though I didn't watch a lot of WWF, it wasn't really my style of wrestling that I liked back in the day. Same. Howard Finkel was just legendary as an announcer because he had su- that such a distinctive voice. And, you know, when you, when you heard him announcing somebody coming to the ring, you knew exactly who it was and he had the inflection. So, you know, even though I didn't watch him all the time, I would say that a lot of my style and influence uh, comes from the late great Howard Finkel. I'd say that and, uh, you talked about a Paul Heyman too, right? Especially with uh, Brock McGinn. I saw an article too. That's his. I love Paul Heyman's one of my one of my dad and I's favorite. As far as current, because um, I grew up primarily watching wrestling more in the '90s, WCW, NWO, you know all that era. And I didn't really watch WWF that much, but I was more into WCW. And uh, my dad still sends me Instagram uh, videos of Ric Flair because there's some account he follows, and it's, it's the best of Ric Flair promo. So it's all about being great on the mic and stuff. So. Um, <laughs> That's kind of who I kind of grew up with, too. Uh, what's the importance of, of, of being good on the mic, even as an entering announcer? Because I feel like there's, you can be bad at it. So is there anything that you would concentrate on when you were entering announcer to make yourself cater to the fans or anything like that? Did you talk to them? Or Yeah, there's, the nice thing about being a ring announcer is that you, you're very close to the fans. You know, Unlike in hockey, where I've got a big glass box around me, and I can kind of hear the roar, but I can't hear anything, and I it really can't see anything. Um, as a ring announcer, you're there, and there's just air between you and the fans, so there's that interplay, that back and forth between them. You can very, very quickly find out what's working and what's not. You know, if, if people are heckling, you can heckle them back. Um, you know, again, the improv skills to be able to, to take it and twist it. But that immediate feedback loop between what you're doing, the look on their face, the, the way their body's reacting, you know, are, are you getting the reaction that you want out of whoever is coming to the ring or whatever's happening during the show, you get to see it very, very quickly. Yeah. And that takes me to like, there's so many, you know, wrestlers in general too, who there are good wrestlers, but what's made them so popular and keeps them on air is just their, their mic abilities. And there's tons of players, wrestlers in general, who are just so much. I mean, look at Ric Flair is a great wrestler, but Ric Flair on the mic was just as entertaining as being in the ring itself. So I think that kind of, you know, transcends into you as a ring announcer and also you um, being a pay announcer for the, for the Hurricanes and PNC Arena. Like, I think people can feed off that energy that you give in general. So now we'll transition into the inevitable of hurricanes you know how did this kind of come about you know because i'm really interested to see like you said a lot of people had these broadcasting backgrounds 10 years here or 15 years there and you're like you know i'm a programmer and here i come yeah it's, um i responded on twitter back in the 2014-15 season to nc state's club hockey team who were like hey we could use a pa and a dj so I, I tweet back to him like, hey, I've done a lot of announcing and music for gouge wrestling and comedy works, and I know the sport. Um, I'd be interested in doing it. So I showed up and started announcing their games, and they liked it. So I had that season of <clears throat> NC State hockey where I kind of got a good sense of what is the flow like between the game and the benches and the officials and the PA. 
even though it was a much busier job because I played the music too and, you know, kept track of other stuff. But that was really, I think, the, the linchpin between all the announcing I'd been doing for improv, all the announcing I'd been doing for gouge wrestling, all the hockey I'd been playing for years, and then being able to put that together for NC State when the Hurricanes announced auditions for their new PA announcer in the 2015-16 season, I yeah, threw, threw my hat in the ring and came down and, and did an audition, reading, you know, reading some sponsor reads from a script, doing fake goal calls, fake penalty calls for the home team and the visiting team and all that. And kind of much to my surprise, they invited me to do a preseason game. Um, so that was a case where I, you know, I told my wife and kids, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm getting you tickets to the preseason game because you may never see this again. And they were sitting up in section 328 where I, nor where I normally sit. <clears throat> and I was doing the game and, you know, honestly, throughout the game, I was feeling pretty good. And, um, you know, I was, because I had a little bit of a focus problem, I was checking Twitter between periods and, you know, with my with my announcing voice, it's somewhat different than my speaking voice. So if you don't know it's me, you might not know it's me. So I was, you know, all the Kane's Twitter people, my friends and folks were like, wow, we really like Friday guy. You know, this, this guy's doing a really good job. They should hire him. And they didn't know it was me. Um, but at the end of the end of the game, I went back up and met with the Kane's vision folks. And they said, nice work. We'll, uh, give you, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it over the weekend and make a decision between you and the other finalist. And I got a call the following Monday saying that I got in the job. Uh, and so I started, started the season a few days after that. And then from there, did you sit down and say, all right, I'm saying this player this way, this player that way. Cause I feel like that has a lot to do with it because every player you have has a different type of just twang you put on it. It's, it's awesome. So, um, how have you gone about as far as saying certain names? Like, would you just pull, you know, people from the past, like Paul Heyman and Brock McGinn, like you talked about? Like, would you just kind of just practice in your mind and your head and drive your family crazy at home? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, my first few games that I did for the Canes, they they were directing me to really kind of tone it back, play it pretty straight. You know, they they didn't know who I was, they didn't have any comfort level with me. But you know, as I showed that I was able to do the job, I got a little bit of a longer leash to throw my own ideas in there that weren't in the script. And, you know, for the player names, that is where the professional wrestling ring announcing comes in because, you know, that's the way you make it big for the wrestling fans is you really find a unique way to announce the name, you make it big. <clears throat> and that's what I was going to do for hockey. And so what I would do is I'd have an idea for a way I could make somebody's name call out special I, I'd do it. I'd kind of see how I felt, see how the crowd reacted, see what the feedback was. And, you know, from the improv side, if they, they keep, if the crowd liked what I was doing, I'd make it a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. That's how, you know, Aho got from just Aho to, you know, Aho. Um, it just, you know, it, it kind of fed upon itself. So anytime we'd get a new person coming in, I'd run through a few ways that I, might want to say their name and I try one. And if I liked it and the crowd liked it, I'd keep it and make it bigger. And if the crowd didn't react or I didn't like it, I throw it away. Cause you know, one of the things they teach you in improv is it's perfectly okay to let go of an idea that didn't work. Um, and so, you know, if I try a name or if I try something and it 
Isn't quite right. Great. That's a good learning experience. But, you know, the, the Canes win at the end of the game was just something I threw in one day because uh, I had an idea and the mic was still hot. So I threw it in and people cheered for it. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe there's something there. And then once the storm surge started, being able to, you know, it was a fun game for me to try to tie the my announcement of Kane's win into kind of the peak of the storm surge. So hopefully it all just kind of melds together because uh, I don't know what's coming in the storm surges. I'm watching alongside the crowd. <clears throat> so it's a fun little game for me to try to try to get that timing right. And sometimes it works and it's great. And sometimes it doesn't and probably no one notices besides me. But yeah, it's a... Uh, the, all of it kind of comes together to make whatever my style happens to be, uh, what it, whatever it is. Yeah. Have you had some, uh, and I know, and I really enjoy the past, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, you did a kind of like a ask me anything version for Twitter. People are asking you questions. It's really cool <laughs> seeing that because, you know, people ask you questions about your connections with players. You talked about how you kind of have, you're not in the locker room after the game. You kind of are isolated from them. But have you had any interactions with players who have appreciated uh, the way you, you've, you said their names in the past, present, or? Yeah, I have heard from people um, that, that the players like them by and large. Really, the only time I get to talk to the players is either at preseason training camps at Raleigh Center Ice. Uh, I'll occasionally go just watch those. They tend to be starting around my birthday, and occasionally I'll see players and they'll say hi. <laughs> or at the Canes Bash, where the players are walking around interacting with the fans. Um, <clears throat> there was one time when I tried something, and they, did, and, uh, it, they didn't like it, they being kind of the powers that be. Uh, so when Derek Ryan was on the team, he scored a goal. And I, I was like, goal scored by number? I can't remember the number, number mm -hmm. he was wearing right now. But uh, no, number five, the doctor, Derek Ryan. And immediately my ear was, don't do that. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, good to know. But at uh, at the Canes Bash that year, uh, I ran into Derek Ryan, and I was like, "Hey, Derek, I'm the I'm Wade. I'm the PA announcer for the team." I'm like, oh, hey, yeah, really like you, really like your work. It's like, hey, I got a question for you. Um, when when you players are like out on the ice and out on the bench, you know, can you like, do you actually hear what I'm saying, or is it all just you know you're so focused and it's all just kind of blends into the background noise? He's like, no, no, we hear you. I was like, ah, so did you hear me when I called you the doctor, Derek Ryan over the mic? He's like, yeah, yeah, I heard that. I was like, he's like, the boys were uh, razzing me about that a little bit in the locker room. Um, but, you know, I, I think everything that I, I don't hear a lot of feedback, but everything that I've heard makes me think that uh, the players are enjoying it as much as the fans are. Absolutely. I think what makes it better for you is that you you were a fan before you were ever the PA announcer. Like, you didn't come here as an objective point of view from, you know, Missouri. Like, you're you're from this area, and I think what makes it cool, to, I think people know that about you, too, who, who follow you and know about you, that you're, you're also a fan. And that still kind of helps feed into it, because you're yelling what we're yelling in our minds anyway. So it makes it feed right. into more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, so kind of my hope is I'm going to be the loudest fan in the in the building, that you know, I've, I've internalized a lot of the Caniac culture and the stuff that makes us special. And when they're excited, I'm going to be excited, which hopefully makes them more excited. Uh, you know, the, the other finalist for the job when I auditioned was a guy who had done a lot of baseball work. And, you know, again, I played baseball growing up. I'm, big, I'm a baseball fan. That style is very different than hockey. Um, so the guy had a great voice. 
but didn't really have that energy for hockey. I think that might have been the his tryout game might have been the first hockey game he'd ever seen. Mm. Um, and and that's a tough spot to be thrown into. It's it's a very unique sport. It took me a couple years of watching it in person to really get it. Um, but I'm hoping that you know my my background sitting in section 328 for. 15 years or whatever, you know, back behind me on the wall is my ticket to the very first game at, in Raleigh. And, you know, I've grown with the team and hopefully continue to represent the, the fan base well and keep them excited. That's awesome. Do you have any like, uh, pregame rituals that you do for yourself as far as making sure you're right on tune? Do you have like a certain drink you drink, food you eat, anything, or is it just kind of on the go? No, no, I definitely am a, a creature of habit. I, I wear the same, so I don't have to wear a tie, thankfully, because, again, I work in software. I'm not a tie guy. Uh, but, I, but I had to wear, I had to buy a suit to take the job. I did not own one because, um, again, work in software. But, you know, I, I've got a few superstitions. Uh, one of them is that I wear the same shirt, and I've got different colors, but I wear the same shirt over and over again until the team loses, at which point I, you know, grab a different shirt for the next game. The only rule being that, I'll, you know, if, I, if I'm wearing a green shirt and, we're, and Dallas is coming to town, then I'll switch it up because I'm not going to wear the, not going to wear the opposing team's color unless it's red, but I keep my, keep the same shirt until the Canes lose and then I switch it up. Uh, one of the security guards down there in the, the tunnels that I go through to get to the box is uh is smart to the idea now so you know every time he sees me he's like oh team must not played well you got a different shirt on or um you know if canes lose or whatever i'll be walking past him after the game he's like change that shirt next game okay uh <laughs> it all falls on you it does you know we all have our superstitions and hockey's a sport of routines uh, i get the same meal every game um so down in i i get to eat dinner down in the media room and they have the that delicious, delicious pulled pork barbecue uh, at the media dinner every single game. They they switch up a bunch of the other stuff, but they always have the, the barbecue. So I get barbecue and slaw um, every game. So I'm sitting. I tend to sit with the newspaper guys because I used to be a newspaper guy. So I'll sit with you know Chip and Carl and Andrew Schnecker from the uh, NC State paper when he was there, and Peter. Contropolis, uh, you know, all, all the media guys, and I just love hearing their stories. Uh, but they, they kind of razz me. You know, they're all switching up their dinners, and every game, you know, 41 games in a row, I've got the exact same uh, dinner going. And then after, uh, after I eat, I go up to the fr first level concourse and walk clockwise around the concourse uh, saying hi to anybody that I see or just you know kind of burning off some nervous energy up until about uh, 20 minutes on the countdown clock at which point I go down to the box and announce the team taking the ice for warm-ups watch warm-ups and then it's showtime. Do you still get nervous before games when you walk down or is it just kind of like a typical pre-show jitters type thing? Yeah, it's just kind of like excitement. It's less nerves and more of excitement. Like, all right, it's game, it's showtime. I'm gonna gonna sh have another good show. Mm. Honestly, uh, you know, I've been doing it for five years now. I've got a little over 200 games uh, in the hopper, and the only time I've really been nervous <clears throat> wasn't even like my first game. Like, because again, I was just like, I know how to do this. This is fine. 
The only time I've really been nervous is um, game three of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Because when you get to the Conference Finals, so much more media comes in. They completely rearranged, like, all of the media areas, like where we eat dinner and the press conference areas. And they had this, like, ice sculpture with the Eastern Conference Finals logo. Like, it was, it was trippy. And, you know, you see all these national guys uh, in the building and, you know, people you've seen on TV. And, you know, you got the big bad Boston Bruins coming to town and the, the building sold out. That was really the, the first time I was like, man, I've actually got some nerves because this is going to be nationally broadcast. I better, better bring my stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I think it turned out well, but that was the playoff run last year was an experience that was amazing. It's the first time I'd ever worked playoffs. Certainly the first time I'd seen them since, um, honestly, in person, 2006 because I lived in Texas for a couple of years. Uh, so when the Canes made that Eastern Conference run in 2009, I wasn't in town. But being at BNC Arena with the playoffs and the, you know, the Caniacs being so loud, you could feel the air vibrating around your face. <clears throat> uh, it was an absolutely just magical experience. I'm glad the Canes are back in the playoffs this year. But, you know, kind of sad that I can't be part of it. I know. It's, it's, all I can do is uh... – do your uh your tweets when you when you yeah do doing road goal calls on Twitter because that became a thing too. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how there's a snowball effect with Twitter, especially? And I feel like you're so good at responding and replying and talking to people, and that's what people love to see. People love to get that engagement. And you being a fan, I feel like that's kind of what probably helps you want to do it because you have been on the other side of that where you have asked the questions. Now you can give the questions. Yep. Um, yeah. It's, have, it, uh, it, Twitter is an adventure. Um, you know I. <laughs> I, I mix all of the different facets of my life into my Twitter account, but hopefully it's, uh, it's entertaining. And when the hockey season's going, it's, it's great to be able to talk back and forth with the Kaniacs. Have any uh, Kaniacs or friends, family members ever asked you to say in Marty's voice, uh, Svechnikov? with the high-pitched squeal huh. during the game <laughs> would you have a job <laughs> no i probably wouldn't that that'd probably be one that i could do once and then and then i would be told that that's not uh within one out of the show um at, at, at some point i think it was a couple months ago i don't know time has no meaning anymore but uh, the canes posted their tiktok of mr svechnikov uh, which was absolutely hilarious so they posted on twitter and i replied back and i, I was like so this is how I get to announce him uh, in games from now on, right? And they and uh, Mike Foreman wrote back, like, I don't know. I think we're going to have to hear a sample of it. So I did a Carolina Hurricanes goal! Scored by, yeah, and, and then scored by number 37, Mr. Spitznikov! And, and I posted it on Twitter. And, you know, again, like I said, the players – Players had no interaction with me whatsoever, but both uh, Martin Nook and Sveshnikov uh, replied saying that they thought it was fun. <laughs> oh, I love Marty. I love Marty because he brings Svech out of his shell. You're like talking to a guy who's not familiar with the English language, and Marty's just so, like, almost to the point where Svech probably hates it sometimes because <laughs> he's so shy and reserved, but he's so out there with him. I, I love it. I, I love the interaction that this team has with each other, and um, – I think it's worth you doing that one time in a game. But we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm going to have to save it for a big one. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, get the shoot out, shoot, yeah. Shoot out going. Everyone does it. Uh, so kind of a question I want to wrap up with you. We talked about it a lot through this. Um, overall, how do you see, I know you have some ends with the team from seeing everything evolve within the, you know, the, the or company or organization itself. How do you see hockey as in general in North Carolina? And if we can even say Virginia and South Carolina, since there's no other professional hockey teams there, how do you see hockey evolving since you started section 328 back in the nineties to now? Uh, the future is amazing. I mean, you know, the ice time for all the rinks in the area, Wake County and Orange County, are basically completely booked up. Uh, the youth programs are amazing. We're getting higher and higher level youth talent. We're getting kids from outside of kind of the Carolinas and Virginia coming here to play for the Junior Hurricanes. And we've already had a couple of people who've come up through our system drafted. So, you know, that, you know, the seeds you planted 20 years ago were turning into, you know, actual NHL draft picks today. And, you know, like Austin Matthews coming out of Arizona, there will probably become a time where a very highly ranked NHL player has got their origins here in the triangle. So the sport is, is, so much fun it's just such a fun sport to watch and play and learn and the more kids that get out there and learn how to do it the better it's going to be for the talent level in the region and those kids you know occasionally get their parents uh, hooked so their parents come play beer league with people like me and you know it's a it's a way to really kind of have something that all of us here in the triangle can share um, because you know with college rivalries and everything else you know, people kind of are divided up into factions in a fun way, but the sport of hockey and the Canes seems to be the one thing that can really bring the region together as a whole. Uh, so when the Canes are doing well and PNC's rocking and people are excited about the team, it's uh, it's magical. Wait, that was awesome. I, I, I love it. I love giving, getting the insight from that point of view. Um, is there anything else you wanted to plug as far as your Twitter or anything? People can follow you on their Instagram, anything like that? No, I finally got out, got out of Mark Zuckerberg's clutches, so I don't have Facebook and I don't have Instagram, <laughs> but I am on Twitter, uh, at Minter, my last name, M-I-N-T-E-R. Um, you know, I'll post there about things I'm doing for hockey, things I'm doing for improv, if we ever get out and have another wrestling show, what I'm doing there. Um, and, yeah, if anyone needs help developing software inside of their company, hit me up. Dual Blue Partners can help, and, you know, you might get a chance to work with me. I can't even program. I love to do that. I love to be a part of that. (laughs) All right, Wade, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks a bunch.